about two weeks ago, Stacey Abrams, the uh, woman who was basically cheated out of uh, becoming the governor of Georgia, came to Augusta, Georgia, and she came to Augusta, Georgia for what I think is a pretty remarkable reason. She came to support or her organization, uh, Fair Fight, came to um, support and came to endorse a local candidate. And it really just uh, reinforced for me and it reinforced so much of what we do on the show, because what I often talk about on the show is, you know, I talk about the importance of local politics and I talk about building your political understanding and building your political base from the local perspective and then expounding going from local to state and then from state to national. And of course, what we do so often is, is that we take a look at the national and, you know, we work our way back and it's, it's not successful for, and the main reason being is that we really, it's not uh, nearly as accessible to, you know, address or to approach people on a national perspective. Conversely, when you look at uh, local candidates and talking to local candidates and talking to local um, elected officials, those individuals are much more accessible. And speaking of accessibility, I had the good fortune uh, to be a part of a media session uh, with Stacey Abrams. Uh, and all of this took place uh, after uh, her organization endorsed Jordan Johnson, whom you will hear from today. But I just want to take uh, the time to uh, start the podcast out with a question uh, that I had the chance to ask uh, Miss Abrams. And again, it's just that emphasis on local politics. Once you guys check this out. A lot of people's political understanding and political awareness is, you know, starts nationally and kind of moves down locally. But what you're alluding to is having that conversation start locally and then maybe building a base off of that. Can you talk about that? I think so often we think about power either being about the presidency or about personal power. And what we have to recognize is that as a nation, we have divided that power among many people. And to do that division, we have to come together to make it work. I believe that local elections matter as much as national elections. I started out as a deputy city attorney long before I ran for office myself because I understood the role of the mayor and the city council, the county commission. And as much as I'm going to fight for those, I'm going to fight on the national level, but I will never forget that the power that is closest to the people has the greatest impact. Over the next 30 minutes to an hour, you're going to hear about the power of local politics in a way that maybe you've never heard it before. So stay tuned and listen to this special episode of Making a Difference. Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage, almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth, but not to make no dope. To make a difference. Described you as a political activist, Georgia icon. You know what makes you? What brings you here to Augusta? Georgia needs Augusta to be as strong and as vibrant as possible, and we need the voters of Augusta to have the citizenship power they deserve. I'm here because I believe in a fair fight for Georgia and a fair count for our census, and that means coming to a place like Georgia, like Augusta, 
where we can have a conversation about district races because those races matter as much as the race for governor or the race for president. What makes you, what makes Jordan uh, Johnson, you know, makes him, you know, your guy. You know, I talked to him last time. He was fighting for 11,000 people for Columbia County and Richmond County for the purge, voter purge. And, I mean, that's your thing, fair fight for voting. Fair fight is focused on the issue. Sorry, say again. Fair fight is focused on the issue of voter protection and fighting voter suppression. And that means keeping people on the rolls, but also encouraging them to use the power they have. I've known Jordan Johnson for several years, and we've worked together very closely. I'm not making personal endorsements, but fair fight is. We're choosing people across the state who stand up for voter protection, who fight against voter suppression, and who believe in true voter engagement. And Jordan's a perfect example of what can be accomplished in our communities with the right leadership. You said in there that you feel like the you feel like the biggest loser. You're taking it well, but do you feel like the biggest winner that you're here? You're talking to us and telling everybody to get out and vote. I believe that. Our democracy is our power. The right to vote is how we express that power. And I am deeply honored to be in a position where my voice carries some weight, where we're able to fight the Secretary of State and get 22,000 people back on the rolls, where someone like Jordan Johnson can keep 11,000 people from having their rights stripped away. But we've got to make that fight real for all of Georgia, starting here in Augusta. Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Here with a young man who I've actually met on uh, previous occasions. Uh, he's someone who... As you know about uh, making a difference in our show, we're always talking about local politics and we're always talking about just always being involved, understanding that, you know, politics isn't, you know, once every four year endeavor or once every two year endeavor, but it's something that goes on every single day. And so I'm here with a young man who really understands that um, he has proven it not, not only with um, his political affiliations, but also his educational affiliations and, you know, the work that he done, the work that he does with children. Just so glad to have on the show with us today here, Mr. Jordan Johnson. How you doing, my friend? I'm well, my man. How you doing today? Doing fantastic, Good. man. So glad to have you on the show. It, it's an honor. Thank you. For those of us who know you and are familiar with your work, I mean, this just kind of seems like it's just a continuation of, of the work um, that you have been doing in Augusta and have been doing in Richmond County for many years. But of course, um, just really looking at District 1 and you're um, vying for District 1, um, of course, your life and just the things you've done are so much more complex than that. And so I want to give you an opportunity just kind of just to tell the listening audience about yourself, where you're from, um, and what inspired you to want to run for District 1. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm always asked what inspires me to run, what made me want to do this. And I always point back to my mom and dad. You know, mm -hmm. I was born in Augusta, born and raised here, never lived anywhere else in my life. Wow. We um, started in Delta Manor, was born in Delta Manor. Moved to Southside, moved to Charlestown. <laughs> when my mom and dad got married, we moved out to South Augusta. Um, but I'm, I'm from Augusta, born and raised here. My mom worked at KB Toys part-time. Wow, I remember that. And she studied at Augusta State University to become a registered nurse. Uh, my dad, he worked at um, RBW on Wrightsboro Road next to Sweetheart Cup. Well, Sweetheart at the time, now then Solo Cup, now Dart, I think. Uh, but he was from San Antonio, Texas. But I always point back to the two of them because, you know, they raised us. They raised the three of us, me uh, and my two siblings. Jory came later on in life, but the t my two oldest siblings, they raised us during the time where fighting against the odds were, you know, just as simple as, was, was as normal as breathing. I mean, gosh, you, you're talking about a, a, a mom in the projects meets this man coming from, you know, out of town, and they work, they put two incomes together. It was just, just odd after odd after odd. But, you know, 
in the midst of that, they were still able to, my mom was able to graduate college. My dad was able to help, you know, take care of his family. My brother was able to play recreation baseball. My sister went to uh, dance studios. I, uh, you know, got into politics. So it's a story, man, that I think it's not a unique story, but my parents are my heroes because they did it. And they showed me that regardless of the odds, you know, you can do well. You can you can deliver for your community. And that's what motivated me to run for this this seat, the same seat that, I, you know, the district that I grew up in. And the fact of the matter is the community looks the same now as it did when I was growing up in the community. The same stinking nasty, you know, corner grocery stores on East Boundary are still there, still stink, still nasty. Some of the same issues we dealt with then, we're dealing with them now. Um, so the motivation was just, I, I, I care about my community, the community that helped raise me. And, you know, I figure if, if we're ever going to see the hood change, um, you know, we've got to be that change. So that, that's that's what pretty much motivated me. And folks say, you know, you must have fell out of every tree, out of the tree and hit every branch on the way down to run for the Augusta Commission. Well, yeah, I did. I'm, I'm that crazy to believe that lending myself to that kind of service is necessary. But, you know, in a nutshell, that's that's why I decided to run, because I care about the community that 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 made me who I am. That's a powerful commentary. I want to. Because, you know, you said a lot of different things. And I want to first ask you before we really just dive into um, and what you're alluding to, some of the stigma associated with the Augusta Commission. I want to talk about you beating odds and in this the various adversities that, you know, uh, you and your parents were able to overcome. How much of your personal story and your parents' personal story do you think can and will resonate just with District 1 and just some of the present concerns, as you alluded to, that we still are still are seeing in District 1? Yeah, I mean, when you think about that, think about how many other young men um, grow up in the same district that I'm growing up in and have to walk to school and pass some of the same blighted properties that we did. You know, Hornsby Elementary School was on Laney Walker Extension when I was little, but now it's in East Augusta, Kentucky, Kentucky Avenue. Imagine how many young folks have to walk through those same blighted communities. Imagine that, that the thoughts that, you know, goes into that. Imagine how many young people wake up in the morning in that district without a warm breakfast or a hug you know, these are these are are realities that our kids face. Imagine the parents who have to catch the bus to go to work, um, and then having to leave work to catch the bus to go to the grocery store to get back home. Like these are the issues that surrounds not just my family, but the ones that you know mirrors my family. The story that we had was just a simple, you know, my mom helped raise her brothers and sisters. Well, her brothers, my mom helped take care of her her mom. She was the first in our family to go to college. She was the first in our family to become, you know, to have a professional career. I think that my story would resonate because I didn't, I didn't come from, um, you know, this isn't a rags to riches story. I mean, but I was your typical black child. My family was the typical black family, you know. And the fact of the matter is, across this district, you have so many families who are just who are living in the district, who have some of the same issues that we had, but because they haven't seen anything else, I mean, it's not, it's nothing new. And my idea is at some point we have to show the community something new. We have to show the community something different. My mom worked part-time. There's so many people out here working part-time because they can't find full-time employment. They're working a full-time job and maybe have a part-time job on the side. 
let alone trying to raise kids and go to college. So, I mean, the, the fact is, man, the, the, the ills that we face, they are so relevant now just as they were back in the 90s, back in the 80s, because we've seen little progress. My mom and dad divorced when I was eight years old. So, I mean, for quite some time, my mom was a single mom. You can't tell me that it can't be done. You can't tell me that, you know, being in that environment, your your future is doomed. It's not. So I think that I have a unique connection with a lot of the young folks and a lot of the families in that district because I've lived the same walk that they're living. Uh, and to a certain degree, you know, I still feel the same concerns that they feel. You know, I pay my bills just like they do. Uh, and I want to pay them on time. Right. So I said a lot, but at the end of the day, I just feel as though, you know, my story is not so unique to where I can't relate to folks in the district because it's the same story and we are still living it. And you said we're still living it. And a lot of that can be said. And I think this is, again, just with the stigma with the commission, you know, we've seen the commission and some of its evolutions and the way that it's changed in terms of membership and, you know, uh, relationship with the mayor, different things like that. But a lot of people would probably say the same thing about District 1 that they would say about the commission in general is that it has not changed. There is little to no progress. What can Jordan Johnson do to change that? Well, one thing that Jordan Johnson can do to change it is Jordan Johnson can invite the community to help him. I think for such a long time, now let's, let's talk about District 1. Sure. Some of the greatest political figures in Augusta's history represented District 1. Um, the Beards, you know, Bill Fennoy, some great people represented District 1. And whether we, whatever uh, opinion that we have of these folks, the Margaret Armstrongs, the Mays family, these folks were legends in Augusta, and they did what they could do for the district. But I think what we have to focus on today, what can I do differently? First of all, we have to cling to, sometimes I look at it as a standalone jump. Before you can jump far, you have to take a step back and evaluate. I think what we have to do is the community have to has to get on board and adopt some of the same mindsets that were around when progress was happening. There was a time in District One where it was just dirt roads and and you know, you know, oil lit lamps. You know, it was dark. District One wasn't always what it is today. Some pioneers came before us and got the district moving. There were times where hotels on Broad Street were the it places to be. You know, resorts up and down uh, in, in the Laney Walker area, beautiful businesses and beautiful homes, thriving businesses and, and, and plants for us to work at. That was District 1 at one point in time. But over the years, we know with uh, the plants moving out, with drugs moving in, with, uh, you know, white flight happened. A lot of things happened that left our communities in despair. What can we do different? We can make sure that the community understands that the quality of the community, that the, the, the progression of the community and that the life of the community lies in the community's hands. That's one. We have to take a personal responsibility in seeing that our communities look like whatever we want them to look like. We have to, we have to build strong neighborhood associations. We have to build strong schools. We have to have strong community uh, programs in our, in our neighborhood. But from a policy perspective, we have to elect leaders to the District 1 seat who understands public policy and understands the dangers of having bad public policy. And I think for so long, the Augusta Commission has just been focused on cutting down trees and filling potholes to where we not have had the opportunity to really focus on policy. We can't elect the same old, same old and expect something different. We have to focus on the future. So taking responsibility and then holding your elected officials accountable is what we're going to have to do in this time. 
I want to ask you something. I feel like you're uniquely qualified to answer it because you, you talked about the future. Um, like I said, I understand you. You are someone who you know who works with young people, but you're also someone who I think can relate to the generation gap that exists not only in education but in politics. As someone, if I may ask your age, uh, twenty six. Twenty six, man. But that's the first time <laughs> some people have ever heard that answer on your show. <laughs> and it's and it's remarkable to yeah. me because you just look. I mean, you know, mature beyond your years. You know, you. Um, you just speak so passionately and eloquently about these different issues. But as we know, politics, education, in many ways, um, the caretakers of those fields are people who are 40, mm-hmm. or well over 40, 50, 60 years old. We know statistically, um, you know, we got prim- Democratic primaries and primaries coming up. The folks who are statistically going to vote are going to pe- be people over 50 years old. Um, talk about the importance of getting younger people involved in the process and maybe some of that youthful energy can yield uh, some of the changes that we need. And, of course, you being um, a catalyst in that uh, department as well. Yeah. So when you look at the numbers historically for District 1, voters 65 and above decide the election. Wow. The largest voting block is 71 and above. They decide the election. Um, But when you look at voters uh, 40 and under, you know, we're not even tapping into 40%. And... I don't think that's a, I don't think that's something that should cause us to pause, but I think it's definitely something that we need to evaluate. And you know, before we went on, we were talking a little bit about why that gap appears. You know, my candidacy, I wanted to send a couple messages. I want to be able to protect the senior citizens who built this community, the folks who decided to grow their families, to start businesses, to invest in this district. Folks who we used to go to when we were little for sandwiches and, and frozen cups, you know, <laughs> the candy lady around the corner. <laughs> but I also want to be able to send a message to younger voters that your your voice matters, that I care about what you think. I care about how you feel. And I think for some time that dynamic has been missing because we focus on the, the strong voting block. You know, they tell me now you need to focus on the ones who turn out every election, which is true. But I think we're turning the curve. We're turning the curb, you know, where one generation is, is having to pass the baton to the next. And it's not so much as passing the baton off because they worked 40, 50 years for their baton. They're not just going to give it up. But I heard a gentleman say, and it was a great example, he said that the fire that they have on their baton, if this generation wants to leave, we can go get our own baton and they'll light the fire. Hmm. And I, I like that example. Because it shows that this generation and the generation of yesterday can still work together off of the same flame. And, and, and that's not happening. That's not happening. But I understand. If, if you haven't seen progress in your community, if all you see is disgusta, which I hate that. I hate that term. If all you see is disgusta and killings and, you know, you're hearing stuff like Augusta Six in the Nation for STD rates and all. You're not having success in finding jobs outside of call centers. What motivation do you have to get involved? But that takes me back to my first point in the question that you asked me earlier. We have to take some type of responsibility in changing the course of our community. Um, and it's not just a one-person thing. It has to be a collective. But, you know, when you're having to pay bills and you're doing it off of a shoestring budget, it's really hard to get involved in anything else. Right. And that's why I'm running. Because we have to be able to tell the people, you know, whether they're 20 or whether they're 70, 
that what's in your face, what's on your plate matters. And that's the bulk of it. And I, I think that, you know, you know, we have to be the change that we want to see. We'll hear more from Jordan Johnson and from Stacey Abrams after these messages. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Adversity, challenges, and mediocrity are a part of any business or organization. What separates a good business or organization from a great one is how staff and members work together to reach common goals and to keep their eyes on the prize. I'm Janice Allen Jackson with Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, LLC, and there is a better way for you to reach your goals. Our mission is to enhance the effectiveness of organizations by equipping leaders to better serve their customers, employees, and the larger community. While many consultants provide the same solutions to each client, we tailor our approach to you. We provide leadership-based speaking services, strategic planning, problem solving, and other organizational development services to government, business, religious, and nonprofit organizations. In business, it's important to have a leg up on the competition. With any organization, being on one accord and identifying why you aren't achieving what you want is crucial. We specialize in excellence, so we work hard to understand your needs and work with your organization to achieve and meet those needs. Call or text me today at 704-707-5114, or you can email us at JaniceAllenJackson at gmail.com. We're here to help your organization find a better way. Follow Janice Allen Jackson and Associates on Twitter at this handle, J-A-J and Associate LLC. That's spelled J-A-J-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-L-L-C. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man, Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. This is a compelling conversation. I do want to touch on it somewhat because I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be had again. Um, when we talk about black people in the black community and just so many things that we care about, we care about child care, we care about politics, we care about, you know, all of these pertinent issues that are happening. And what I think happens is, is that we do block um, these conversations off by age. And I think in doing that, you know, we um, we do ourselves and we do the community a strong disservice. But I, I do want to ask you very briefly, because I know the audience is going to be listening. You're going to have some younger folks. You're going to have some older folks, and I, I do want to touch on this in two parts because I'm going to talk about both parties. Sure. You talked about it a little bit earlier that just the shoestring budget and, you know, just the level of responsibility. Why do you think, because um, I'm 36, believe mm-hmm. it or not, um, and I would never have guessed, like, man, I'm 10 years old, this guy, no way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what do you think keeps our peers um, from getting more involved in politics? You talked about some of it, but can you 
Can't you really dig into that thing? Like I said, I just know you have a unique perspective on this. You know, I, I've asked myself that same question. My first start in politics came from when um, I was president of the Young Democrats. Okay. How were you in that? Because I'm just going to do it. God, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I was young. Mm. But I had an issue with getting folks involved then. But what I realized was that we couldn't address young folks' concerns without going to where young folks were. You know, we had to go to the clubs. You had to go to the pizza joints. You had to get on social media. You had to be up to date in how things are going. I just don't think that a lot of folks who are, you know, you know, who are leading the way right now, I don't think that they, that they understand that. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a generational thing. It's just the difference between one generation from another. But at the end of the day, I, I just feel like, again, there are so many... There are so many different issues that goes into why folks decide not to be involved. If you have two children or three children and you're having to work overtime every chance you get, at what point do you have time to go to the commission meeting and voice your concerns about planning and zoning? You don't. Planning and zoning is not on your mind. But how can we get folks to understand that? How can we get folks to understand that what they, that the issues that they face, uh, ultimately are in their hands. It's so difficult. It is so difficult. But I just think one thing that we're missing is it's just a voice to say that. Hmm. And I, I do feel like I'm that voice because I've been in a position to where I've helped folks who are my age and I've been in a position where I've had to represent folks who weren't. So I, I just really think it's a voice thing. Man, that's, I hope I answered your question. No, you, you did. And I and that's, like I said, that's why I really want to touch on it because it's, well, you're not, and I, I always I like to use the word perpetual. When you're not perpetually involved in politics, I feel like you are unintentionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, working against your own self-interest and, and against your own best interest yeah. because knowledge is power. And yeah. knowing what's going on in your community and being able to say, well, hey, I don't necessarily agree with that. Or, hey, you know, I, I do like that, that you're doing that. You need you may just need the, you know, um, community support to see these things happen. Yeah. And so that is that's a huge component of it uh, in the same breath, because I can imagine just with your you know, political affiliations and the things that you've been able to accomplish that, you know, you, you do have these conversations with um, with older Augustans. How do you inspire um, those who say voting does not matter? There's this young man named Yellow Pain. He's a rapper that I met from uh, Dayton, Ohio. And he begins his video, most recent video, talking about voting not matter. He begins his video talking about why voting doesn't matter. But a minute in, he reminds us that voting must matter because people wouldn't work so hard to stop us if it didn't. And what is so critical is that what people call voter apathy is usually voter despair and voter disillusionment. And the way you solve for despair is to provide answers, and the way you cure disillusionment is to provide real beliefs and power. And that's what I fight for. I don't let people tell me no. I let them start with no, but we'll get to yes. Just need me a little more time. More than 270, more than enough to become the 44th president of the United States. He will be the first African-American president uh, of the United States. I've been broke all my life, but I kept hope all them nights. You see business in my city? Yeah, they closed all them twice. I was just riding down Salem, all them damn potholes I can't drive. I know y'all can fix it faster, but I know y'all won't try. Don't nobody care about us. And that's why I don't vote. 
Voted for Obama back in 2012. I remember that's when I had hope. He was saying, yes, we can. And everybody got less food stamps. And when I turned 21, I was still broke. I'd never vote again. I don't think I ever had a president make my life better. Did it all on my own. Ain't no politician ever do a nice gesture. I don't even know the man's name. I ain't never seen him one time ever. Tell me how she gonna help the city. What I'm supposed to do, write letters? What I'm supposed to do, blame Trump? He ain't never really gave up. Uh, ain't nobody raised minimum wage. None of these jobs pay enough. I think they just want to keep us broke. Because they ain't putting nothing in place for us. This how all my people feel. But we got to learn. We complained enough. Let me change it up. Everything I just said, everybody I know think the same way. See, they don't want to see us vote. And we never do. So we see the same thing. But all our votes really do count. And they'll never really let it show. So now I'm finna break it down. Because if I don't, you will probably never know. First thing first. You know, back in middle school when they taught us, it was three branches of the government we forgot it when we got older it's the judicial the legislative and executive but all we know is the executive that's the mayor or the governor and the president now none of them three people make no laws they just be checking them the laws come to their desk and all they do is say no or yes to it so when the news station tried to tell us that barack obama couldn't put us on we was all salty at obama when it was the congress members out along we gotta focus on the legislative branch yeah they the ones that make the laws yeah they the ones right how much food stamp money you get on the car but when people that wanted to help us, wanted the job, I know they probably lost. Cause we ain't even know their name, we ain't know their face, we ain't know it all. So the Congress or the State House, that's legislative, they make laws. So what we want from the president is what they do, okay, y'all? See, they election every two years, but we don't never even go to those. The Congress, they can raise minimum wage, but we ain't even really know it, though. So you know how back in 08, when we all voted for Obama, we was all supposed to go back in 2010 and vote for the Congress. Cause they the ones make child support laws. They the ones choose if your kids at school get to eat steak or corn dogs. The State House make the court calls. So if the country failed, then you can't say it's them. It's your fault, cause y'all ain't know to vote for Congress members that was for y'all. And they don't gotta leave after four years, and we just let them sit. See, they don't wanna tell you this, they want you to focus on the president. Now, the third branch is the judicial, that's judges. They the reason why John Crawford and Trayvon ain't had justice. So when Meek Mill got locked up just for popping willies, we blame the judge and not the city when they let her get voted in, cause they ain't know who to vote against. Imagine life on the other side. Roads better, schools better, everybody get their license back, grocery store food better, custody of your kids back, homeless people get new shelters, if we gon' fix the U.S., we gotta start with them two letters, me and you, somebody told us that the government wanna keep us broke, but the only reason why those people in the government is cause we ain't vote, and I ain't talking about the president, I'm talking about the ones we ain't know, see they was gonna try to keep it low, but it's gonna hurt them when they see the pros. Every time you stay home, someone is making a decision about you, making decisions about the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food your kids eat, and how much money you bring home every two weeks. So every time you sit out an election, every time you don't show up because you think it doesn't matter, someone else is happy that you didn't show up so they can make that decision for you. Vote. It's the West Coast Diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William View Parkway in Evans, Georgia. 
Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Hey, y'all, we're going to get back to the show in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about my good friends over at Quick Print Augusta. I want to tell you about some of the services they provide. They do family reunion t-shirts, political flyers, logo designs, church programs, church fans, brochures, business cards, and banners. So if you need any of those things, and I'm pretty sure you do, give them a call at 706-750-9779. That's 706-750-9779. You can also shoot them an email at info at quickprintaugusta.com. Info at quickprintaugusta.com. You can also hit them up on Facebook at Quick Print Augusta. But wait, there's more. If you mention making a difference to the good folks at Quick Print Augusta, they will give you 10% off of your order. Again, if you mention MAD, making a difference, they'll give you 10% off. Enjoy the rest of the show. How do you um, kind of relay that urgency to say, hey, you know, get yourself more technologically involved. Hey, talk to these young people. Don't be afraid of us, you know. Talk to us. Try to understand us, because that we we have a, we have a message, and we have you mm-hmm. know we have power. How do you how do you kind of impress that message? You've got to go to where people are, and I, I tell them you know everything that that you care about, we care about, and the fact is, if you're paying rent, that's something that your local commission can control in some degree. If you're paying lights, somebody in politics care about that. If you're paying for gas, somebody in politics cares for that. If you're having to pay childcare fees, I, my friend. As, as a matter of fact, she's more like a sister to me, and she said that she paid close to $4,000 uh, or more. I'm probably misquoting her, but she paid a, a very uh, generous amount of money in child care. Like, people on the state level, local, uh, local legislators control, can control the laws that govern child care. You know, there's so many things that can be done from a government perspective um, that we just don't know about. You know, that's, oh, I don't care about politics. I don't get into politics. Well, your landlord does. <laughs> your boss does. The people who design your shoes care. The people who, you know, design your phone care. So, again, you just, it, it doesn't affect people until it starts affecting people. But you have to get out to where they are outside of election time. I can't just come talk to you when I want you to vote for me. Folks have got to see their elected officials around the clock. They've got to be able to know that they have somebody that they can touch, that they can talk to. And I tell people all the time, message me on Facebook. I don't care where you live or what time of day it is. Message me on Facebook. If you have a concern, I do everything I can to help you. But folks get excited when they start seeing results. And if they don't see results, they lose faith in the process, which then gives you the numbers that we have. But I don't believe that we're so far removed to where we can't have a movement in Augusta to where young people stand up and take ownership in the government and take ownership in the communities. I don't think that we're so far removed to where we're not able to see um, young folks be neighborhood association presidents. We're not that far removed. There's so many people who care and there's so many people who have ideas, but they don't know where to start. They don't know where to start. And, and they're not going to start by going to the commission meetings. You know, it has to be a community effort. It has to be something where folks can buy in. But we're not too far removed from that. What you're talking about is uh, it's not only, you know, optimistic and encouraging. I think it's just galvanizing in yeah. a way of, you know, it's, you know, obviously you are approaching this from a you know local government aspect. But invariably, a lot of this is going to be grassroots as well. Absolutely. Because you are, um, you're trying to tap into something, mm-hmm. you know, into a resource that's there. And I, I, like I said, that's one of the passions of my show as well. Yeah, you know, one thing that I, I want to do as commissioner is outside of all the political things, the voting on agenda items and policies, we need to make sure that our kids are prepared for the workforce. That means, you know, 
being a liaison to community partners who specialize in these areas. I want to make sure that our kids know how to be, you know, how to have a successful job interview. That means using our parks and recreations department to put on, you know, job interview, mock interview days. I'm, I'm talking about having our parks and recreation departments, uh, you know, hosting, um, you know, tech classes and cyber classes so that our kids can explore other realms of, of, of education, other realms of professions. Like, these are the kind of things that I'm talking about. Job fairs for our district. Because people need employment. Sure. Government may not be able to create a job, but we can help you find one. And these are the kind of things that we're talking about. And I think that will definitely tap into this generation that we're talking about. Again, they want to see somebody working on them. They want to see somebody fighting. They don't want to just see you talking on Facebook. So that's not going to get it. I want to ask you about just some of the very specific issues yeah. in, in District 1. And, of course, you've talked about, you know, um, the blight, uh, you know, just, uh, I mean, just like slum-like conditions. I mean, we've, you know, driven, up and, driven uh, up and down the roads. What, if you if you can speak to, and I'm sure some of this is going to touch into your campaign and some yeah. of the focuses of your campaign, just kind of give us maybe an overlay of what that looks like. And if elected, those are things, you know, certain things that you are committed to uh, resolving or maybe improving upon. Yeah, so blight is, in my opinion, my top priority. Um, not only just as a candidate, but as, as a taxpayer, somebody who lives in the city. Some of the same neighborhoods that I ran in when I was younger are either in worse con- or are in terrible condition. They're, they look much worse than they did when I was little, or they're not existing anymore. Um, and now the property that was there is you know filled with you know overgrown grass. The city has only allocated a couple hundred thousand dollars towards removing blight, and I think that that's just not enough. I think you need at least $3 million to address what we're talking about uh, and if we're talking about removing properties. But I want to even go so deeper into what we're talking about where blight is concerned because we, you know that these houses, if left unaddressed, becomes magnets to crime. They become magnets to drug activity. And not only that, but they become pu- public health concerns with the mold infestation, with rodent infestation. They become safety hazards. Certain homes in the district um, are fire hazards. So this is something that, that's very important because with revitalizing our communities, um, you can build a beautiful home right next to a house that's that sat dormant for 30 years. That's a problem to me. So we need to be able to make, uh, make this so creative. We need to be able to take eradicating blight and looking at it from such a creative standpoint so that anyone who wants to develop these properties can. Whether that means, you know, identifying these properties. So, uh, now, let me back up. It's a very complicated matter, Sure. <laughs> you know, navigating blight eradication. You're having to locate uh, owners. You're having to navigate tax law. You're having to navigate so many different, um, so many different bops and weaves where law is concerned. But we have such a, such a um, qualified law community in Augusta that we can do that. We have some of the most brilliant minds in tax that can do that. We can identify these properties and sell them for a dollar to the next door neighbor to develop. And the city can offer resources to help that neighbor develop that home. Like there are so many programs that we can implement that we're not implementing. Um, New Orleans did it after Katrina. Florida did it. So many other areas. New Jersey did it after uh, after Hurricane Sandy. These things are, <laughs> they're not fairy tales. They can be done. And uh, and, and another thing, there's so many, there's a lack of public policy where blight control is is concerned. We need to be able to pass laws to 
uh, will pass ordinances that will put the responsibility into the owners of these properties. If we know who the owner is, they should be held responsible for leaving our communities in the shape that they are in. And if that means some type of fee, some type of tax, some type of fine, I'm all for it. Um, because they need to pay, pay their fair share for leaving our communities looking the way they look. But, I mean, it's complicated. It's not something that we're going to fix overnight. But removing blight is, is my top priority because without it, with, with, with the presence of such blighted communities, we're not going to have adequate grocery. That's, you know, that's leaving us with food deserts and other with family dollars and dollar generals. That's leaving us with a lack of uh, economic development and, and, infra and infrastructure renewal, both from government and the private sector. That's leaving us with, uh, with a lack of jobs because nobody's going to come in and build something quality in a neighborhood that looks the way it looks. And, you know, and, and this is going to be my final point on this. Communities don't look great just because folks move in. You know, communities begin to look great because resources begin to be allocated to these communities to make sidewalks look better, to make streetlights, you know, come on at the right time, to <laughs> mow the lawn. Somebody moving in just doesn't magically do it. Dollars follow. And I'm just of the, of the faith, of the idea that when we start taking care of our own communities, the community would then start taking care of us. But it hadn't happened. Right. But, I mean, that's just... I can talk about removing blight all day. I'm not even going to sit here and try because <laughs> that'll take up the whole the whole interview. But it's that important. Right. And then what does that tell the community? Again, going back to that young man who has to walk past a block full of blighted properties in the morning. I used to take kids out to the to um, to the park out in uh, South Augusta, out by Diamond Lakes, and some of the kids in the urban area didn't even know we were still in Augusta. Mm. That's that's sad. Mm. That's sad. Think about that, man. I and that's a lot to think on, man. I wow. And, you know, like I said, I've seen it. And just from that young person's perspective, I mean, the fear. Yeah. Because, you know, we think that, you know, kids don't know, but they know. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they well, that house right there, that's what's, there's something going on in that house that shouldn't be going mm -hmm. on there. And like you say, it's just the, the, the fear and the dis disillusionment and the discouragement, man. And that those are things that can be, um, that can be changed by local government for the yeah. better. Yeah. Certainly. Environment changes can change so much. It, it could... It could be the the determining factor between a kid growing up and, you know, the old uh, Fresh Prince Bel Air line um, running the hospital or cleaning it. You know, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. We have got to be so focused on the future to where we're willing to do whatever it takes to clean up our communities. And it literally starts right here in our own backyard. We're looking at this thing from such a huge perspective, but it, it really just takes getting intentional about what we're doing here at home. And you have to you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. And it takes six votes to get anything done on that commission. Right. So, um, you know, you have to pray that 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 that's that may take an act of God. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about, um, you know, your personal story. You know, we talked a lot about politics. We've even talked about prayer some because you, you you've mentioned that uh, a few times. But I just want to obviously we're here um, to inform uh, the community that you are in fact running for district one. Um, and I just, if you can just kind of give an impassioned plea or just, you know, raise the urgency for the listening audience, um, the importance of getting out to vote. If yeah. you can just talk about that. If you don't vote, you know, people usually say if you don't vote, you don't matter. I'm not going to say that because, you know, you have the right to vote. You have the right not to vote. Um, but we can't expect to see our communities change. We can't expect to see our city progress if uh, we're not electing people who are able to do it. 
And for so long, this notion of young people being involved in politics would not happen. And young people running for office would not happen because they can't afford a pay cut or they're too busy raising a family or they're too busy doing other things. I want to prove that that's not true. Um, and I want to also prove that you don't have to have 30 years of experience and you don't have to be retired to be effective. That's just that's just the way that the old guard keeps young people out of the process. Um, but it's so important to vote because your streets depend on it. You, you know, your water rates depend on it. Everything that you do from the moment you wake up in, in your in your bed, crank up your car and go to work depends on who you put in elected office. Um, and it's just that critical. You know, we know that folks bled and died for our right to vote. And I'm so grateful for people like John Lewis, Martin Luther King Jr., people right here in Augusta, Carrie Mays, Willie Mays, Margaret Armstrong, uh, Wyan Myers. We're talking about Reverend Hamilton, uh, Justina Ike Washington. I'm, I'm grateful for these people. But voting makes the difference. Voting determines what, you know, how much money is allocated to school districts. It determines how much money, ta you know, people pay in property taxes to support the local government and, and local schools. This is so important. Uh, and Augusta is, is, is behind in, in so many ways. But voting um, for the right person, not just the person who babysitted your cousin them, <laughs> and not just for the person who, you know, you know the, the, somebody told you to vote for. Do your research and vote for the person who has your best interests at heart. Whatever you care about, if a, per if a candidate's not talking about it, move on and find someone who is. But the, the quality of your community depends on it. That's why we haven't had much, because we elect people, but we don't hold them accountable. Man, Everyone's qualified when they're running for office. I'm qualified while I'm running, but once I'm elected, are you going to hold me accountable to anything? If not, don't put me back in. You know, mm -hmm. don't don't put me back in. But that's why voting is so important because, again, the very future depends on it. Mm -hmm. May 19th is the uh, is election day, May right? May 19th is the election day. You April 27th, I'm going to say it's early voting. Yeah, you can vote for me that soon. <laughs> um, qualif qualifying is March 2nd. Um, I'll be the, I'm going to be down there qualifying for office. May 19th is the election date. Um, and we're going to win this thing without a runoff. We're going to we're going to win with 50 percent plus one, even with five candidates in the race. You know, I'm not talking about something that I'm just thinking of. I have the most experience in this race um, out of all the other candidates. Um, and that's been proven. You know, when Governor Deal came to Augusta, he wanted to take over our public schools. We, we took the fight right to the governor's office and beat him. You know, we maintain local controls of our public schools. When the Secretary of State came and wanted to purge Georgia voters, we took the fight right to the Secretary of State's office. You know, that's why I'm the only candidate in this race endorsed by uh, Stacey Abrams's uh, Fair Fight organization wow. because they saw how much of a fierce advocate for voting rights I am. Um, this is something that I'm passionate about. I am so passionate about this um, because, again, I had to raise my family in Augusta. I had to retire in Augusta. I had to die in Augusta. And, you know, I don't want to have to go anywhere else to do anything but Augusta. Um, so I've been working. I'm going to continue to work. This isn't something that's just going to start. It's going to be a continuation of, of a bright future, not for me, but for the for the city. That's great. Ladies and gentlemen, so glad to have uh, on making a difference today. Like I said, young man, always been impressed with, always, you know, have seen him uh, moving politically and, you know, just... Uh, working for the betterment of this city. Uh, Mr. Jordan Johnson, so glad to have you on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate you. I, the other issue I spoke about is the census. The 2020 census begins on April 1st. 
In the state of Georgia, we stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars every year from the communities that need it the most unless we participate. So I encourage everyone to go to faircount.org, learn about the 2020 census, and plan to participate so that you get your money because we only get counted when you count. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Making a Difference. I have really good news for you. I actually have some bonus coverage uh, that involves both uh, Jordan and Stacy. Uh, as I mentioned before, Stacy actually came down to Augusta and through the Fair Fight uh, Coalition, they endorsed uh, Jordan uh, as he uh, runs for District 1 Commissioner in Richmond County, Augusta, Georgia. And so I have uh, some extra commentary from Stacy there. You guys will really enjoy that. But before I share that with you, just want to share with you some additional ways that you can keep up with the podcast and that you can help out the podcast. So first of all, uh, definitely follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference. And however you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, just look for us at M-A-K-I-N apostrophe a difference. Uh, and you should be able to find me there. I uh, can make and making a difference. So you can f- uh, follow us that way. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash making a different show. Again, M-A-K-I-N a different show. If you have commentary, um, dialogue, anything that you want to share with the podcast, you can actually do that by email. Uh, you can send that to making a different show at gmail.com. That is making a different show at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. Twitter handle is difference making again, M-A-K-I-N. I always encourage people to support black media again, support black media. You can do that financially. Uh, you can do that at, uh, by with a one-time donation, uh, at cat or via cash app. Uh, the handle is dollar sign making a different show. That's dollar sign making M-A-K-I-N a different show. You can also support making a difference month to month via Patreon, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N where you can find making a difference. And like I said, you can do month to month donations at patreon.com backslash making a different show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash making a different show. And with that said, we're going to close out with uh, the dialogue between Jordan and Stacey Abrams. And, as always, man, just I'm so grateful for you guys, uh, the hype behind this show and, you know, the commentary with Stacey Abrams. I know you guys are really excited about that, and I hope we did not disappoint you in any way, shape or form. And with that, uh, like I said, we're going to close out with uh, this piece from Stacey Abrams. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. We, she came to Augusta to talk about voting rights. She came to Augusta because the governor wanted to take Richmond County schools and create an education czar that only answered to him. We fought that and we won that battle. It was because of the fight from our minority leader at the time, Stacey Abrams, that voters had the opportunity to go to the polls and be heard and use the voice that the Constitution gives us. And we understand that every day these rights are at risk. And we're here today because we have a champion who is championing those voter rights. And just recently, here in Augusta, we took it to the Secretary of State's office when they wanted to purge close to 6,000 people from the border roads in Richmond County. We stood and we fought and we won. So I am thankful. I am thankful today, uh, not only just to be a candidate for this office, because I believe that the progress that we're trying to make goes well far beyond what we do on May 19th. What we do on May 19th decides the future of our communities. It decides whether or not businesses stay in our county or leave our county. But we need to make sure that before we even get to the polls, that we have access to those polls, to that poll. That we have access to free elections. That we have access to fair elections. That we don't have to make sure that folks aren't tampering with our voices by way of ballot box. And so I would like to just introduce to you someone who has been fighting on our behalf ever since, ever since I remember. Ever since that first meeting I had with her. 
ever since she announced her governor's campaign, I remember Stacey Abrams as a fighter. I know Stacey Abrams as a fighter. I've watched her fight, and I've followed her in this fight, and I'm glad that she's here today to talk to us more about the fight. So would you all please help me introduce and welcome to our great city of Augusta, Georgia, our leader, Stacey Abrams. Thank you, Jordan, for such a kind introduction. Thank you, Mrs. Johnson, for making him. <laughs> and thank you to Reverend Woods for opening Tabernacle, but more importantly, opening up the conversation about justice. Because fundamentally, that's what we're talking about. In 2018, I did not become the governor of Georgia. And in the 10-day period between November 6th, Election Day, yeah, I felt the same way, babe. Uh, in between November 6th, Election Day, and November 16th, my non-concession day, I really had to think about what I wanted to do next. Because you see, when you're running for office, your focus is intense, and all you can think about is getting to that day. But I was raised by civil rights activists. My mom and dad were involved in the civil rights movement as teenagers in Mississippi. I grew up in Gulfport, I like to say I was raised in Mississippi and came of age in Georgia. My dad was arrested helping register people to vote when he was 16. My mom was doing the same work, she was just smart enough not to get caught. <laughs> but they raised me to understand that the work that you do is about the work, it's not about the title. And while I was vying for the title of governor, I wanted to do the work of being governor. And so my job in that 10-day period was to figure out if I didn't get the title, what work could I continue to do? Because I don't believe in just being angry or being outraged. I believe in taking action. That's how I was raised. I was raised by people who used to take us to go and vote with them every single election. And there were six of us. We looked like make-way for ducklings when they would go in the voting booth. But they wanted us to see what they did. They wanted us to understand that even though we lived on the poor black street and the middle class side of town so we get zoned to the good school, not the great school. They wanted us to understand that their voices mattered. They wanted us to see that even though we had times when we had no running water, when the lights got cut off, that we had a responsibility to think not just about our house, but our neighborhood. And not just our neighborhood, but our city. And not just our city, but our state. And when my parents moved us here to Georgia, they made sure we understood, understood the legacy of the state of Georgia, the civil rights movement. I stand here today because I believe in the work we can do here in Georgia. But that work cannot be done unless we have the power that we are supposed to be guaranteed through the, the U.S. Constitution. You see, the Constitution has been amended three times to remind America about the right to vote. The 13th Amendment, which gave us citizenship, and the 15th Amendment, which made that citizenship voting power for black men but not black women. The 19th Amendment, which finally gave the right to vote to women, but because we had Jim Crow, black women still didn't really get to participate. And then the 26th Amendment, which said that if you were 18 and old enough to die for our country, you were old enough to vote in our country. The 15th, the 19th, and the 26th Amendment have been opportunities for us to reform the original promise of America. But the problem is that every time we reform the promise, we keep telling folks in our states that they get to decide who, to who, who 
gets that promise kept. One of the challenges of America is that we delegate to the states the power of elections. And we live in a state that does not believe that every American voice should be heard. That is why we are fighting. That is why I acknowledge the legal sufficiency of that election, but I will never concede that the system that administered the 2018 election is fair, because as long as people's voices were heard, that election is not fair. But hear me clearly, there is nothing I will do this year, next year, there is nothing I will ever do that will change the outcome of the 2018 election, and that's not my intention. What is is, what happened, happened. But what can be is where we have to focus. Because the right to vote is our power in a democracy. It is the only power in a democracy. The ability to choose who our leaders are, to tell them what we expect them to do, and to fire them if we decide they have not done enough. That is the power of democracy. That is the power of our vote. But when that power can be taken away by use it or lose it laws, Georgia is one of only nine states in America that says as a matter of law, your failure to vote is a reason to take your vote away. I don't lose my freedom of religion when I oversleep and don't make it to church, Reverend Woods. <laughs> and I don't lose my Second Amendment right when I don't go hunting on Saturdays. Why can I lose my right to vote? Because I chose not to. That is a flaw in our system. And in the state of Georgia, last month, they started a process to purge 300,000 people from the rolls. But because of fair fight, we stood up and said, this is not right. We have people from around the country making calls. We got 4,500 people to call and get themselves back on the rolls. And then we took them to court because it's not enough just to be loud. You got to fight. And when we took them to court, the Secretary of State admitted he made 22,000 mistakes. 22,000 errors. Stealing a citizen's right to vote is not an error. It is an abomination, and it should not happen in the United States of America, and it cannot happen again in Georgia. Having a fair fight means that you don't lose polling places. According to an AJC analysis, because of the 214 polling places that closed under the administration of Secretary of State Brian Kemp, between 50 and 60,000 Georgians lost the right to vote. Because it's not enough to say that you have the right to vote if you don't have the ability to get there. That's right. And they will say, well, just vote by mail. Well, when thousands of ballots never show up and even thousands more get rejected, then you do not have the right to vote in Georgia. But the right is not the reason I do this work. I do the work for the people and for the lives they want to lead. We do the work because policy matters. Because electing someone isn't enough if they don't do the work you elected them to do. And I believe in the work. And I believe the work cannot simply be electing someone as president of the United States. It can't simply be focusing on federal elections when local elections decide most of our lives. District attorney is a powerful job. It is the administration of justice in our communities. Whether we are the state that has the ninth highest incarceration rate and the single highest rate of probation and parole begins with our district attorney. And as long as you are on probation or parole in the state of Georgia, you do not have the right to vote. And Georgia has the single highest number of people, black people, who cannot vote, not because they haven't served their time, but because their time doesn't end. That is a solvable problem, but only if we have DAs who believe in the people we're trying to solve the problem for.
and it's about judges. In the state of Georgia, we vote for our judges because justice is administered by our judges. And if we ignore that part on our ballot, then we are ignoring the future of our communities. People don't take themselves to jail. What happens is we have a system, and if we don't participate in that system, that system will chew us up and spit us out. We have to pay attention all the way down the ballot. And in the state of Georgia, the most powerful community leader outside of the governor and the state legislature is your county commissioners. By constitution, they have the responsibility of administering your tax dollars, setting the needs of the people in front of their own. And your county commissioners have the constitutional responsibility to serve their community. Folks have asked why Fair Fight has started endorsing in local races, and that's because that's where the power is. And I don't believe in just chasing titles, I believe in chasing power. And the power to improve the lives of Georgians begins in our local elections. On May 19th, you're going to make decisions. In November, you're going to make decisions. And if you don't show up, you've made your decision that what's happening is okay. And I don't believe anyone who showed up here tonight believes that's right. But what I want to ask you is why aren't you here with somebody else? Because no matter whose name is on the ballot, our lives are on the line. And I am here because I believe in a fair fight for all of Georgia. A fair fight here in Augusta. A fair fight in Burke County where I was a few hours ago listening to black farmers who had their land stolen and their lives ruined because the people they elected do not see them once they get into office. I'm going to be going to visit with my friends, Representative Gloria Frazier, Representative Sheila Clark Nelson, because I believe that our state legislators need to have the power to protect us from budget cuts that would empty our communities and fill our jails. But those are choices that we make when we decide to vote and when we don't vote. When we come places alone or when we bring people with them, because people need to be told their voices matter. Everyone in this room, someone told you your voice mattered. You may not remember when it happened, but it did. But we know that 62% of the people who don't vote have never been asked to register, have rarely been asked to vote. And if you tell someone they don't matter long enough, they start to believe you. I'm here tonight because I believe in a fair fight. And I know in Augusta, we have the chance to not only have a fair fight, but to have a win. And for fair fight, for Georgia, I ask you to not show up alone. Check your registration, get your friends to check their registration, and if they look at you cross-eyed, make sure they understand they need to register. Treat it like bringing someone to church with you. They may come kicking and screaming, but they'll leave filled with the spirit. I will close with this. I've spent the last year being the best loser I know. I've got to thank you. I'm not sure how I feel about people clapping for me being a loser, but that's good. But I say it because of this. Not only was I able to launch Fair Fight, I was able to launch an organization called Fair Count because we need the census to be accurate. Jordan spoke about a food desert, being unable to get to groceries. Well, I'll tell you this about the U.S. Census. In our country, because we do not complete the census at the rates we need to, communities like Augusta, like District 1, get left behind. I've been working through Fair Count with a number of census leaders, and 
what we heard is this. There's a community that had been trying to get a grocery store for years. And every time they tried to get that grocery store, they were told no, they didn't have the population. Well, one year they, they did everything. They, they did all the things they needed to do. They had the money on the table, but they got the letter saying you've been rejected again. And what they found out was that they were rejected because of 40 people, because they were missing 40 people, because they didn't hit the cutoff number to even be considered by the corporation to put their company there, to put their grocery store there. But the problem was they had more than 40 folks. They had hundreds of people who just didn't fill out the census because no one asked them, or because they thought it was gonna hurt them. They thought somebody was gonna use it against them. And because of that, they couldn't find the food they needed. They had to go grocery shopping at a liquor store. We can change America, we can change Georgia, we can change Augusta if we show up in the 2020 census. We have to show up and be seen. Because every time we don't show up, Georgia loses roughly $400 million that we can't afford because it's not money that comes out of the wealthy parts of town. It's money that never makes it to District 1 and District 9. It's money that doesn't make it to the communities that need it the most. We have to have a fair fight, but we also have to have a fair count. And if we have a fair count in 2020 and we have a fair fight in 2020, then we will have a new Georgia in 2021. And that's the mission that I'm on. Thank you so much for being here.